he was very into the idea of cleansing all of the impurities out of his body. But his way of doing so was once a quarter, he would lock himself in his apartment and he would chug an entire bottle of Jack Daniels. So listen, listen, I know it's science. So, a few exciting life updates, in addition to having a podcast boom and being a podcast bro. That article is cracking me up, by the way. New York Times, as we were just discussing before we hopped on, has written some great articles. I feel like I've found myself frequently at the butt of lifestyle and or career choices that someone at the New York Times considers to be deleterious to society, which I don't feel like I'm a bad person, but whenever I read these, it makes me kind of feel bad about myself. Well, I will say that, first of all, for our listeners, we're talking about this New York Times article that was published yesterday by Gina Cherilis. So anyway, Gina, there's there's an article called, Would You Date a Podcast Bro? Their reputations have caught up with them. And I just feel like this is a really unfair baseless hit piece but i understand where they're coming from <laughs> yeah jokes aside i actually think it's 100 percent accurate yeah not about uh, i mean i like to think we're it's never moderately us. enlightened and or not too serious and or have actual careers that we can hide behind if the podcast doesn't go well but i will say i was in the getting my haircut the other day and Have you ever gotten your hair cut by a barber who's like an influencer (laughs) barber? What? Never? Like, you've never been gotten your hair cut and the barber's been like, yo, do you mind if I take a picture of this for like my Insta feed? No. That's happened to me like multiple times. Partly, I think, because I might be one of the only people in the world I've uncovered that doesn't go to the same barber. I just go to a different one every single time because whatever. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Hang on, hang on. You can't just throw that out there. Okay, let's unpack that a little bit. You're telling me that you don't have a regular barber. You spin the roulette and you just pick yeah. a random place, a new place every time you need your hair. <laughs> no, there's like a couple of different places I go depending on availability. And I'm like, I usually am like, wake up in the morning. I'm like, I haven't planned this ahead of time. I just need a haircut today because I happen to have a couple hours so I go online, I'm like, next available barber at one of these places, and then I never get the same person. Dude, what? <laughs> I just don't think You're blowing there's like my mind. not a lot of variation. <laughs> uh, I also have like a pretty low self-standard these days. Like I got, I got, I don't want to pull the dad thing like every dad does all the time, but like I don't, it's like the last thing I give a fuck about. Is like whether or not I have exactly the right haircut. My hair looks fine. I mean, like, maybe not because I just like worked out and I'm looking pretty rough and sick. But normally my hair is like more or less fine. You know? I agree. Like, I I think you have a solid haircut every time. I'm just su- I'm surprised that that's the outcome because I think for most people, <laughs> getting your haircut is basically feels akin to like going to the dentist or something, right? It's not going to be an enjoyable experience. Something bad happens. 
that might ruin the rest of your day, at least. I definitely agree on the dentist. That can really... I've gone to a bad dentist and never again. I'm going to like vet my dentists. I'm going to like interview my dentists going forward. And I feel like a lot of people have had that experience. So I, I, I agree. But a haircut, it's like, it's hair. If I had a complex haircut or I went to like a cheap, I will say <laughs> the places I had to go are not like cheap. Although I don't know, with inflation, nothing's like cheap anymore. But I'm not like spending like 10 bucks on a haircut. It's like a pretty nice haircut place. You're going to the Supercuts premium chain. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to no, no, no. I'm go. I go to Sport Cuts because I feel like they have a little bit more pizzazz. Anyway, I have been the subject of multiple, probably three different times. Have been like on these people's Instagram feeds, and like one guy I got my hair cut by does a lot of the Atlanta actors, and or they do work on on sets like TV sets. Like like the one dude worked on like the Atlanta TV show. Or so he claimed. But the guy I was at three days ago or whenever I got my hair cut last, as usual, brand new dude, he was telling me about his podcast. So he had just launched a he had just launched a podcast <laughs> where he was interviewing other barbers and trying to show off techniques. So anyway, I'm not talking trash. Good good for him for having the the pod. But I can see why it might be tempting to say that the podcast trend has become a bit crazy but also if you take it too seriously yeah you deserve to be made fun of yeah new york magazine also has called us out a couple times especially for fanboying a24 so i agree there's a reason for it i do feel like having a podcast as a gen z or millennial dude is not that dissimilar to saying you're a creative director which means you do absolutely nothing and just like rip your vape Mm -hmm. in your apartment Mm -hmm. And like wear tiny beanies. I would love to get canceled. Actually, same. By the New York Times. Not because I want to go through the process of being canceled. I don't really think there's much that I could be canceled from. But I think like that would mean we're pretty popular, you know, if you got canceled. And like being canceled by not just anyone, right? I think being canceled by the New York Times specifically is probably the goal. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Because it means you're doing something right and you're talking about the right Mm -hmm. things. Also, if you're not, um, if you're listening to this and you can, and I sound like a 90-year-old smoker, uh, it's because I'm recovering a little bit from some sickness. But I'm going to be honest with you. I think I said this last time on the pod that I recovered from sickness, but I have never felt better. There's not, there's something about coming back from feeling like shit that really gives you a new appreciation for life. And I feel, I feel fucking great. I've never been more positive. I'm going to have to like figure out a way to make myself sick like once a quarter just to cleanse the mind and the body of its impurities it's like your mind gets all like caught up in shit that like doesn't matter and then when you feel deathly ill you're like you know what none of that shit fucking mattered i have my health (laughs) and so like I'm, i'm not even kidding like i need to figure out a way to get sick every quarter in like a controlled manner that won't kill me obviously but i do agree with having a new lease on life there's always that That one day when you wake up, could be from a nap or just in the morning, and something about you feels a little different. You've had a cold for a while, a couple days, and you're like, you know, today, there's a lot of optimism in the air. Something feels different, and it's like you reemerge as like a new human being. You shed your skin. But on that note, actually, I actually used to know this guy a long time ago where, I don't know where he got this, but he was very into the idea of cleansing all of the impurities out of his body on 
I don't know. I think it was also like a quarterly basis, but his way of doing so was once a quarter, he would lock himself in his apartment and he would chug an entire bottle of Jack Daniels. Wait, no, I didn't. I tell you about this. I, I have a separate friend that used to do this. Oh, no. Yeah. Shit. Okay. I know someone who also, <laughs> do, okay. who does this, but he does it with brandy. He chugs it. He drinks a bottle of brandy. <laughs> that is all. I, I thought you were kidding at first. That is amazing that you know someone else who does that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not how it works, but. That is definitely not how it works. Like, oh, if you're listening, like. This is not medical advice, by the way, but. Do not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, if I was to give medical advice, I would say don't drink a bottle of Jack Daniels. I think that's pretty safe medical <laughs> advice. Like, you're not cleansing anything. Yeah. Like, you're only poisoning yourself. <laughs> oh, God. Speaking of, though, I will say I do have. I'm a hypocrite. One more life update before we move on. I have a hot new take, okay? So, you know how I don't... I've said this on the pod before, and I'll say it again. I don't drink, except for right now, on Mondays through Wednesdays. That's like our household rule, which we break frequently. Yeah, I was about but to say. <laughs> it's more... It's turning... Okay, okay. So, we don't drink Monday through Wednesdays. Okay, it sounds a little crazy. About half the week. <laughs> a little less. <laughs> and... You know, baby steps, okay? I'm not going to, like, quit drinking, but I'm going to try and be better about it now that I'm, like, an adult and have a life and have to not sleep all the time. However, I feel like I found a loophole. I was doing some research, and we've ch- I've changed the rule, okay? Now I can only drink martinis Mondays through Wednesday because... <laughs> so, listen, listen, I know. <laughs> listen. <laughs> right. It's science. I think I know where you're going it's with this, but science. yeah, go ahead. So I was always brought up thinking, based off of, I don't know, wherever you learn about alcohol, that any concept that a different type of liquor gives you a different type of hangover or is worse for you or gives you a different type of drunk is a lie. I always assumed that was just like all old wives tales. The fact that tequila makes you crazy is just like totally made up bullshit. Yeah. I've been living a lie. Apparently, like there's like totally science behind this stuff. I don't know about the tequila one specifically, but like you legitimate, it actually affects your body differently. And like basically vodka is like good for you is my key takeaway from all this. <laughs> it's like, there's like nothing bad for you. And it's like, it's free of impurities. Okay. So that- <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's not what it initially says on the internet, but that was my takeaway from the whole thing. Yeah, I don't drink beer or brown stuff. Vodka Mondays through Wednesdays. <laughs> that counts as <laughs> or not gin. Drinking. Yeah, yeah, vodka or gin. <laughs> I believe in. See, now that we're very firmly in our thirties, I genuinely believe that drinking anything brown, it hits way different the next day. Definitely different. It like does. the other week, I went out for a few drinks. I maybe had three, I think four, whiskeys on the rocks though, just raw, raw dog. And wow, I was absolutely worthless at work the next day. But funny enough, our friend, mutual friend, Derbs, Jeff Derbyshire, friend of the pod, he was the one who actually first told me about this whole martini hack. And he says he only drinks vodka martinis with a lemon twist. I don't know anything about martinis, but I tried it. And I was like, this is the cleanest I felt in a long time drinking. 
it makes me i don't know whether i should be happy or sad that i have like separately stumbled upon the derbs hack for this but i'm behind it 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 has changed me i've been making martinis at home which makes me sound like more of an alcoholic not less but i will say that you're right man like i love brown liquor more than anything else whiskey's my as you know like you and i oh both yeah love a good whiskey but yeah i think i might be on the like martini weekday train <laughs> i am i'm 100 percent there with you now we've also had like now we've had two totally douchey bro conversations <laughs> if we're talking about the new york times thing well anything else new with you before we get into the the content any other any other hot hot dates i have actually been playing the very 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 long game with this girl at the gym that oh nice the the game is on she knows it i know it and i just think if you're a single dude out there or if you've been if you've had a gym crush before you can attest to the fact that it's probably one of the more difficult environments to try to interact with a girl and have like a normal conversation i mean it's like it's pretty high stakes super high stakes i'm actually quite impressed i uh now i sound like even more of a douche like i I'm so impressed that people can pick people off the gym. I am scared shitless. Like I'm like first off in the zone in the gym. Two, like I'm afraid to like check people out because like I don't yeah. know. I don't want to be like creepy because like people are wearing scantily clad stuff and like jumping up and down and like yeah like sure I want to like there are reasons to take a look but I almost want to there like, are over, reasons to take over. a look. <laughs> well, I mean you know what I mean. Like you know if you're like. It's a hot and sweaty, yeah, attractive people, right? And but I'm like, so now I'm like over indexing to like not be weird, yeah. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna like totally bail out of this. I, I'm happy to like go up and talk to someone at a bar, but like at a gym, I'm don't have the balls to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely like a tier one environment, and like the margin of error is so thin. Like your window of opportunity <laughs> is basically in the eight and a half seconds before somebody starts stretching and they're walking to the stretching area from the locker room <laughs> and the yeah. you know 10 to 15 seconds it takes them to walk back down or go from the locker room and leave out the door anyway well best of luck with that sounds difficult and uh and complex and sometimes talking to you i'm like oh man i remember how fun it was to be single and then sometimes when i'm talking to you i'm like whoo Thank God I'm past that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a daily roller coaster. All right. So I got some some interesting ones that I would love to talk to you about. But let's. What do you got? What do you got for me first? I have three, three and a half. Uh, I'll combine two of them. But I want to give a quick update on Avatar Two. Finally saw it. On the big screen, super late it. to the game, uh, so we'll get to that. And oh <laughs> no, don't make me wait. I'm getting. I don't. God damn. Okay. Number okay, two, okay. I saw Triangle of Sadness. Oh, you did. And okay. then okay. number three, Richard Linkletter, the Before trilogy. I saw the first two Before Sunrise and Before Sunset. Is that the first time you've seen those? Yeah. Hmm. Okay, I'm excited to hear your takes. Well, I'll do my list and then we can cherry pick. Let's just say I was having a real rough uh, dad week with the sickness. And so I caught White House Down, the great film 
with uh, Channing Tatum, uh, Jamie Foxx, and Maggie Gyllenhaal. That's where that's where it was. I saw uh, 2014's Hercules with Dwayne Johnson, also known as The Rock. And I also watched, this is actually one I actually seriously want to talk about, which is 2018 director Lynn Ramsey, You Were Never Really Here, starring Joaquin Phoenix. That, yeah, that's uh, that's... It's a little off the beaten track of, of the others. So that's my life. Okay, I would love to have you kick us off with some of the things I'm very interested to hear your takes on. Let me touch on Avatar 2, The Way of Water, quickly. At this point, I'm, I'm super late to the game. I'm, I think we're f- three or four months late to the game here, but finally saw it in 3D in a theater, which is... The only way to see it. And should I even read the MDiv? Like, uh, I guess I'll... We've already, we've already talked about it. Yeah, we've it. already I mean, talked yeah. about it. Like, if you don't know, I mean, it's uh, it's the Pocahontas story, right? It's the Ferngully story. Classic Ferngully archetype. Yeah. So my main takeaway was I hugely regret not seeing Avatar 1 in theaters after seeing this. This was an absolutely mind-blowing theater experience. The I've I've Great. I've seen plenty of 3D movies before and this is a different class. This isn't even like 3D. Okay. This is I totally agree. You really set it up as if you were going to hate it. I'm like, <laughs> god damn it. I told you that it was like the most insane visual experience I've ever seen. Okay, that makes me uh yeah. I'm glad. Yeah, it's insane. It's what's wild. It's like nothing else. I'm not even sure how to articulate this in the best way, except that a million people have already commented on at this point. You completely forget that these are just like fake blue people. You get so sucked into the realism of these characters and the technology of their motion capture. And like, I, I don't know how the fuck they filmed this thing. Wild. In the water, they like break all the rules about filming water. Like we didn't talk about that, but now that you're bringing it up, it's like, come on, James, Jim, <laughs> Jim, Jimmy, Jim, Cammy, <laughs> <laughs> and you can tell that he's basically gone to the deepest depths of our planet into the ocean, and he's brought back to show the world Slim Jim just. Slim Jim. <laughs> Slim Jim. Slim Jim. Yeah. Uh, he, he, as, <laughs> as his friends and I call him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but he is basically... Now I understand why he's basically said to Hollywood, hey, I'm going to spend the rest of my working career making more Avatar movies. I totally get it. He is trying to show us and show the world the beauty and the fragility of nature. And he's making obviously like interesting, very personal commentary on that social commentary. Yeah. But the way that he does it and the vision is unparalleled. And I agree with you. It was probably one of the top movie going experiences I've had. I've literally never seen something like that on a screen. And um, the underwater shots in particular 
they're, they're they're fake CGI creatures, and you have no idea. It literally looks Mm-mm. like they took an IMAX camera underwater, and they're filming these like crazy creatures. I just want to pull on a th- agreed, obviously, and I'm I'm very happy. You really had me on my on my toes. I was like, God, he's gonna fucking hate it. But the you you brought up how everyone has said this, and so we're repeating a lot of stuff people have already said, but. Until you see it, it's like doesn't resonate, and I'm trying to figure out why that is. I think I think it's like two things. One is people haven't spent us included enough time actually trying to explain what makes it especially interesting. Even though we're saying all these words, like we probably just need to do a better job. But there's also this component of of spectacle, like the concept of spectacle in cinema has almost been worn down. Like. Maybe it's marketing that has the problem where like so many cinematic experiences are framed as being an incredible spectacle when in fact so few of them actually are. And so it's hard to like explain because obviously no one's doing a good job of it. But like my big question is, okay, why do I talk to everyone in my life, everyone, you know, family, friends, whatever, and bring up Avatar The Way of Water and they're like, oh, I hear it's like pretty cool, but whatever but that's because no one has actually like communicated to them how wild and insane the experience is i could be whitewashing it too and the fact that there are some people who just think it's boring and don't like it i think they're crazy but yeah i don't know anyway i just wanted to flag that i think that was a good point i don't think either of us are doing a good job even coming close to articulating what we mean but i guess I, i did spend some time thinking about this and never really came to something that I could like explain to somebody except that movies were intended to be this experience, right? It's, it's a full emotional and like sensory experience that you pay money to go see. And it's bringing you this otherworldly magic and that magic. When I think, I, I think when they're able to, blend it so well almost like mask the mechanics behind it so that you don't really it blurs the lines completely between what is real and what is not and right for that reason i think it brings you into a completely new world like you know you're escaping this reality but you do feel like it's almost like like visiting a different planet almost yeah do you think that also has something to do with the fact that the medium is changing? Just to unpack that and to extrapolate from Slim Jim's take on, on cinema, which is typically when you look at a video, sorry, a trailer of uh, like preview of a movie on your computer or on like your TV. Yes, it's scaled down, but it's still representative of what you're going to go see at the theater. Whereas something like Avatar Way of Water, IMAX 3D or 3D or whatever, whatever you're seeing is legit, like it's fundamentally not representative. It's in, it's incapable of representing what the actual experience is going to be. It's like, it's like watching a video of somebody going on a roller coaster and trying to use that to explain the roller coaster when it's like, no, it's like actually a sensory experience like you just said. And I wonder if it's going to take until people have like, are more commonly watching VR, AR to like really be able to communicate the grandiosity of some of these like wild new experiments in film, like like Jim Cam's 
anyway, I'm, I'm dallying on this subject for too long, but it's really interesting that it seems to be like poor, have been poorly communicated. He's basically created the adult version of like when you were little and you go to Disney World and you don't have to suspend any disbelief because of your naivete and like innocent worldview and you're just willing to accept things at face value as you see them and with all of the baggage that we have to not suspend disbelief as adults I think this is one of those rare moments where he forces you into that space where you can. Well put. Anyway, fascinating topic. And I think I'm, I'm really glad you watched it. And I think if you're listening to this, I think hopefully if you haven't seen it, you should go check it out. If for no other reason than I think as we've discussed, it's a remarkable commentary on how evolve, how the experience of watching and consuming media is like evolving. Even though, like, technically we've had IMAX for a long time, this is not the same. It's, like, not the same thing. Let me do two really quick, because I, I, you'll have more interesting stuff to talk about than me, given your list. Caught The Rock, Dwayne Johnson's Hercules from 2014, and also White House Down with, uh, as as we mentioned, Hercules MDib. Having endured his legendary 12 labors, Hercules, the Greek demigod has... Actually, it doesn't matter. It's a terrible movie. Don't watch it. So I would love to say watch it, but it's just it's just not that good. On the other hand, White House Down. Like, give me more Channing Tatum and Jamie Foxx. Can I just say, can I say, KY, this movie delivers. I think I saw it. It's from 2013. I think I saw it sometime when I was like a teenager, some idiot, and I didn't appreciate it. But... Wow. The the pace of it, it's all it is is it's again in my quest, my ongoing ever quest for the perfect dad movie, aka the movie that you can be holding a child and doing work at the same time and look up every 5 minutes still know exactly what's going on because the goals have never changed. You have very compelling characters who are interesting that have clear goals and a clear bad guy that you don't like and there's a different action scene every three to five minutes that has a new novelty in it perfect this is the perfect dad movie i've once again i'm progressing in my attempt to find perfection and white house down give me more of it just give give it to me i want it on all the time in the background i just wanted to drop those two and uh that's that's all i want to talk about you were never really here as well because that's the one like good movie i watched uh but we'll pass it back to you unless you have a comment on either of those i'm i may actually uh check out that check out white house down to be honest so we'll report back if that happens if it happens not a guarantee yet can't guarantee anything okay i'll touch on triangle of sadness have you seen this yet i have okay I'll do a quick MDIB. This is actually up there with probably... This might be actually the worst MDIB I've seen so far. I think we say that every time, so that's a really big... That's it's a big deal. Yeah. So Triangle of Sadness, MDIB. A fashion model, celebrity couple, join an eventful cruise for the super rich. Okay. First of all, runtime, two hours, 27 minutes. 
So I broke my rule again for this. I think it was worth it. So I have a couple takeaways. I didn't love it. I liked it. There are a couple elements where I thought this movie did an incredible job and a lot more moments where I thought this movie did not do a good job. So I'll predominantly talk about the good parts because it's a smaller list. But first of all, I just want to talk about the cinematography. I don't know if you had the same thought, but it's one of the most visually, like the visual experience itself, I thought was top notch. It was one of the best like visual things that I've seen in a long time as far as movies go. I think Banshees of Inishirin was another really notable recent one that I saw that was just really well shot. And if you remember in the third act, all of the scenes they shot at night on the beach, I thought those were especially epic shots. Whoever was doing that camera work, great job. You deserve a raise. (laughs) Second thing was I really didn't like the first half of this movie at all. I thought it was really heavy handed in the social commentary, just very surface level in my opinion. And this is maybe probably an unpopular opinion. I love Woody, but I didn't love his character here or like what they did with his character. And I'm sort of glad that spoiler alert, obviously he doesn't make it to the Island and he's not really like part of the second half of this movie. Wait, can I just can I just say something real quick? I stopped watching this movie an hour and ten minutes in because I hated it so much. No idea what happens in the second half. I thought it was an absolute trash piece of shit. Uh, so interesting to hear. Maybe I'll start it over at the halfway point. But uh, I hated it. I f- I really hated the movie, and I almost don't want to talk about it. Didn't want to talk about it because I didn't want people to cancel me or something for not liking a movie that is like popular in the zeitgeist. But, but yeah, that's an, I'm almost, I'm sad and glad to hear that it changes because I literally just turned it off. I was like, I'm not wasting another hour and 10 minutes of my life on this piece of shit. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from and it is definitely a core part of the zeitgeist, but the third act is where this movie comes alive in my opinion. And It's unfortunate because I get, well, no, I I don't fully get why they spent so much time in the exposition and on the boat, but they have to build up these characters somehow and give them a bit more depth, which they did decently, I would say, to varying degrees. It's only once they strip away all of the excess and like the facade around these characters and they're just completely laid bare on this island as just a group of human beings without those societal structures, or at least those societal structures begin to dissolve pretty quickly that I think this movie Mm. starts to become interesting. And there are a couple of brief moments in that third act where it's highly predictable, like where this is going, but, uh, and like, I, I won't spoil it for you, but essentially they, have a really great depiction of how when you take a group of human beings out of a modern societal environment with all of the trappings of that structure around them, what 
happens to that group of people and how do they behave towards one another. And I think they I thought, eat each other. <laughs> I thought that piece <laughs> was really interesting. And there's yeah. this one scene. This is the one scene that I will forever remember from this movie. And this is not a spoiler, but essentially they have to hunt for their own food on this island. There's this one scene where they come across this donkey and they have to hunt this donkey as a group. And it quickly devolves into this like tribal effort to kill food for survival. And that scene is one of my favorite scenes in a movie that I've seen in a very long time. And the absolute oh, highlight okay. of this movie. And that scene belongs in the Louvre as like a standalone wow. art piece. High praise. Gosh, I am I'm like both like sad and happy to hear that because I assumed having having not read anything about it because I was trying not to spoil it that the whole movie was going to be them on the boat. And I'm like, I can't... Like, there were some funny parts when, like, they're all puking and shitting themselves and stuff. And, like, yeah, some of the characters were interesting. But, yeah, this is great. I'm going to go back and finish it. My last comment is there are, like, these fleeting moments where you can see that when you strip away those aspects of modern society, so you have, like, these class structures, you have things like social media and stuff like that. When all of that is stripped away and you're just trying to survive as a group of humans, people are genuinely incentivized to get along with each other and work together. And I thought that was hmm. really interesting, even if for brief moments. I'm really excited to, to check it back out. Those are all noble concepts to explore in a movie as well, especially when I didn't think that was going to be explored at all. So I don't, we, we also picked this up right after the menu. Mm. And I think I was overly indexing on assuming that it was going to only be like the menu where there's no part where they... Yeah, anyway, I'm excited to check it out. Maybe I'll put my last piece in here and then we'll we'll go to you for the final one. But uh, have you ever heard of or seen You Were Never Really Here, Joaquin Phoenix? No. Well, it's a traumatized veteran, unafraid of violence, tracks down missing girls for a living. When a job spins out of control, Joe's nightmares overtake him as a conspiracy is uncovered, leading to what may be his death trip or his awakening. So Joaquin Phoenix is basically a guy, he's like a, he's a veteran, as I just said, who his job is to work for a private detective who pays him when they need to go get someone, usually with use of force, specifically young girls who've been kidnapped. Super dark concept he's also like kind of crazy well joe aka joaquin phoenix the main character is like he's clearly gone through like a lot of severe trauma and so he has these flashbacks that make it it's a little confusing you're you're like not quite sure what's real or what happened what didn't happen what got him to where he is and it's really it's it's a good and bad movie i'd recommend watching it it's good in the sense that two things one is it's about a guy who carries around a hammer and kills people who like sexually abuse little girls and like is fucked up as it says to say is it is to say that I enjoy violence like some there is a place I think for seeing people be brought 
like truly evil people, even if it's like kind of set up in a obvious way, be brought to justice by like a hammer wielding Joaquin Phoenix. You know, it's like there's just something about that that doesn't make for a good movie in of itself. They do a good job with it. The second piece is the character itself, Joe Joaquin Phoenix. They do a great job just like showing his obsession and his like someone who is like broke, like dealing with significant scars, like mental scars from their past. His past has had, there were issues associated with girls or young women being hurt, basically. I'll leave it at that. And his uh, past as a veteran. And so it's about him trying to come to terms with that in like a super manic way and like, oh, but overcoming issues that would like otherwise cripple someone who maybe wouldn't keep going. The reason it's not a great movie is it's pretty one dimensional and it doesn't like explore. I think I've read a couple good criticisms of it where it doesn't like actually explore the core issues around sex slavery and like, which is like a real thing in the world, which is wild uh, to think that in like modern society, there's, um, you know, human trafficking. And so it doesn't, yes, it's obviously a bad thing and the bad guys are the ones doing it and stuff, but it doesn't like actually, it could go, I think a lot deeper into that if it wanted to. Instead, they try and make, they kind of make them like paper bad guys. Like there's the governor of New York is like secretly trading in little girls. And so there's not a lot of like nuance to that he's like obviously a bad guy and you want him to be killed with a hammer by Joaquin Phoenix. Anyway, totally random find i just wanted to flag it it's actually probably worth a watch yeah this is this is interesting this feels like this is the type of role you want to see walking phoenix do and i'm surprised i've never heard of this it's is this just like a totally under the radar walking phoenix movie yeah anyway that's all i got what are you gonna leave us leave us with here i'm gonna leave you with richard Linkletter's before trilogy so this is Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight. So first of all, shame on you, HBO. They only have the first two. They don't have the third. How are you going to have only part of a trilogy? Absurd. So I only watched the first two. That is fucked up. Yeah. Let me uh, let me hit you with a double, little double MDIB action here. This movie's from 1995. A young man and woman meet on a train in Europe and wind up spending one evening together in Vienna. Unfortunately, both know that this will probably be their only night together. This is an Ethan Hawke special. And then Julie Delpy, amazing job as the other actress here. That's before sunrise, before sunset, picks up. Nine years after Jesse and Celine first met, and they encounter each other again on the French leg of Jesse's book tour. So you've you've seen this whole trilogy? Yes, and yeah, I mean it's been a while, but uh, I think I saw it back in after the before midnight came out in 2014 or 2015. But um, I have a lot of thoughts, but I don't want to yeah spoil it. <laughs> so you should set up the. I'm sure you're about to, but you should set up the concept, like the link later concept, because I think that's like so critical to what's going on here i I don't know what you mean by that but i'll take a stab at what i think you mean essentially you have these what are like three acts of a story so it starts with sunrise moves to sunset and then just before midnight and the first part of this story is really about these two characters who have a chance encounter and share some deep connection and have like this amazing night in vienna part two sunrise picks up where 
We've now fast forwarded a bit later in their lives. They have been somewhat estranged, but they have another chance or somewhat not so chance encounter where they essentially pick back up and reflect on the emotions from their first encounter and the complexities of life of where they're at at that moment in time in their current relationships. And then as far as I understand, before midnight is really another fast forward from there with Jesse and Celine actually finally ending up together uh, with a family and showing the true post-honeymoon period of a relationship and the real raw, again, complexity, but also the tensions that being in a long-term relationship with somebody can create. So what he's doing is... That's exactly right. I, I would I would lean into the time aspect. So each movie is exactly nine years apart. So both in fiction and in real life, which is uh, so 1995, 2004, 2013. Oh, that is genius. And so we can get into like boyhood or some of these other concepts he's done similarly, but he's taking art, like the art of film in a way to try and play off of both the fictional storyline of these two people who fall in love, maybe don't fall in love, at least fall into fascination and what their relationship over real and fictional time brings. And he's trying to, in my opinion, magnify the fictional storyline by actually literally bringing the life of the actors along with the fictional storyline. So Ethan Hawke and uh, Julie Delpy are both also nine years older and they have like nine more years of life experience and they're which I find it's wild that this isn't more of a thing. I mean, it's because like it's probably hard from a production perspective to like convince anyone to invest in. And so that's why everyone either is made to look older or younger. They get a different actor, actress, like, you know, whatever. Whereas Linklater is like, no, I'm actually going to tell this story. Ethan Hawke and Julie Del- Delpy in the last one before midnight, which is about, like you said, after they're married and stuff give anything well i mean there's not anything to give away it's about life but um yeah like they're literally 18 years older than when they were in the first movie and they're meeting back together in a lot of ways it's like i just i love i love the concept i think it's done a really good job there's issues with it and sure like anything but it's i think it's a really 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 cool thing that he's done with these movies and it's a as far as i can tell like somewhat unique at least in this romance concept yeah that's a great tidbit because i didn't realize that's the way that it was intentionally structured only richard linklater would do this and only linklater would also pull it off i don't like to throw out the m word very often but this is a masterpiece in my opinion oh yeah it is it's definitely i i would agree i think it's a mastery i don't think it's i think it's pretty hard to argue that the trio of films is not masterpiece worthy i think what resonated pretty deeply with me was this realization that what what you see on screen first of all is a really just raw and genuine take on a connection between two people and i think it's easy for people to get caught up in viewing these types of chance interactions as ordinary as like a standard part of life and something that happens but i think what this movie does really well and leans into is that 
these routine interactions with people that you have this really deep connection with, that you feel that instant chemistry with, are actually some of the most affecting and special experiences that you can have as a human being. And Mm. it's like when you reflect back on the connections that you've shared with people in your life, especially with romantic partners, those truly deep and genuine connections, I think are actually incredibly rare and something that you can only point to with like a handful of people in your life. Yeah, it is so real. The last thing I would add to that piece is like, I almost feel like a poser saying I liked Richard Linkletter as a director without having seen this series because it completely deepened and changed my respect for him. I think he's he went from a really intelligent American filmmaker to, I think, one of the greatest American filmmakers that captures everyday human experience. And it felt yeah. very much to me like, I don't know, like like who else out there, how well can they portray the human experience? And like Miyazaki is really the only one, only other director that comes to mind that does a great mm. job of capturing the beauty in just these like seemingly routine moments in life. The, the hard part about making a movie about life is bringing, as you pointed out with Miyazaki, like bringing the magic of it to life by keeping it real relatable, making it actually real life in air quotes and, but also making it joyous or sad or joyous and sad. And uh, yeah, he crushed it with these crushed it. I had, I didn't, I just assumed you had seen them. So I'm um, when we had talked about link later previously. So I'm glad you picked that up. Well, that's a perfect way to end this. Check out before midnight. Maybe I'm going to go. I might go rewatch this too. Like, fuck it. It's like, a, it makes me, these movies make me happy. So yeah, I'll have to go check it out too. So next week we're going to be want, talking about Pinocchio. Yep. And Andor. Yep. Yeah.